Welcome back to uh, another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Caleb Wells with uh, Typhon Group. And along with me, we have Charles Maxwood. Hey, folks. Yeah, we launched some new shows. I'm just going to throw that out real fast. Uh, yeah. we, we launched Blockchain. We launched this one. We launched DevOps. And we've launched an open source sustainability show. So come to devchat.tv and check them all out. Yeah, lots of cool stuff. And our guest today is uh, James Amadi Magno. He's a developer at Microsoft focusing on Xamarin. James, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. Well, first, awesome. Thanks for having me on one of the very first episodes of the pod. Super appreciate that. And I've never heard Chuck's full name in that elegance, by the way. That was very, very beautiful (laughs) intro of the Chuck. That was very good. Yeah. So I'm a... I'm James Montemagno. I'm a, I'm a program manager. I'm a developer. Uh, I work at Microsoft now. I've been at Microsoft for three years. I focus in, I'm in our developer division. So I focus in on mobile development tooling around iOS and Android in the world of Xamarin, inside of Visual Studio, outside of Visual Studio. And I've had a long history in the space. So I've been on a few other podcasts on DevChat, like iFreaks in the past, which is super cool. I think those were probably when I was back actually working at Xamarin because I, I came to Microsoft via the acquisition three years ago. So I just celebrated right. my, my three year. And before that, I was a Xamarin developer. So I've been living and breathing Xamarin for eight years and I've been a C-sharp.net developer for more years than I have fingers, I think, at this point. So One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker. I don't want to deal with Kubernetes. I don't want to deal with setting up servers. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on, so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington from The Food Fight Show. And we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight Show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. I think we had you on iFreaks the first time like, yeah, I think it was at Build and I think it was like the year before it got acquired. And then the next year they made that big announcement and we talked to you again. I'll put links to all of the shows that we did about Xamarin on iFreaks, just to kind of give people a look back. There are three of them. And then, yeah, we can kind of jump in from there. Yeah, it's probably crazy even to go back to those episodes because if you listen to any of the mobile podcasts, just things change in any development. Things change so fast. So a lot of that stuff, probably the high level is still applicable, but the platforms you know, between Microsoft, Google, and Apple are moving at such a rapid pace. These devices are moving so fast. And then we, on top of that, are building frameworks and libraries on top of it. So it's a super exciting time all the time. Yeah, it's funny to me just how in the web world and in the mobile world, I kind of you know bridge between both. Uh, lately, I've been hosting the React Native podcast as well. 
And it's interesting where things converge, right? So Xamarin and, you know, React Native and, you know, whatever else, you know, uh, Apple with Swift and uh, Google with Kotlin, uh, which is also interesting. They moved over to Kotlin for Android stuff. You look at all this stuff and you go, oh, well, they're starting to adopt these same things. And then somebody will break out with something new and everybody goes, huh, I wonder how that's going to go. And then sometimes it works out. Sometimes it works out in ways where Apple goes and tries it and they figure out this isn't a good idea for us. And sometimes it works out and everybody moves that way. So it's, it's really fun to just watch how it all goes. The other thing that I really like about the conversations that we've had in the past, James, is that we get in and we start looking at this and it's, okay, well, you know, the conversations we had on iFreaks were very colored by people who were writing native iOS apps and then, you know, talking about Xamarin as this other option where a lot of people come at it the other way and they, they do C-sharp or they do some kind of .NET-based work and they see Xamarin as the way to go and then Swift and Objective-C or Kotlin are the other way to do it. And so, yeah, kind of getting that perspective on things too is kind of an interesting look. And so, yeah, That's, I'm kind of uh, curious to see it from a .NET angle this time. That's one of the things that really got me interested in Xamarin I guess maybe five years ago, was the fact that, right, it was .NET and C-sharp. I mean, it was, it was my wheelhouse, right? It's what I knew how to do. And, you know, you're talking, uh, Chuck, about, right, how a lot of things are converging. It really just made me think about Blazor, the podcast we had with Dana Roth just recently, and talking about WebAssembly and being able to use C-sharp inside of the browser, right? It's just, right, I love the fact that you have all these options and frameworks, like from a web front end perspective, but I really love the fact that I can use C Sharp now in all these places in the back end and not have to learn or not have to keep up with Java and C Sharp mm-hmm. and whatever else, right? Yep. It's interesting to me too. You mentioned that it, you know, .NET, you can now write C Sharp on WebAssembly. And so as JavaScript and web technologies move into other arenas, that takes all of the other languages that can be compiled that way with it. And right. so I, th- I think we're only going to see more expansion as far as what people can do with the systems that they're in. Yeah, you know, we think here at, at Microsoft and specifically on the .NET team, and Xamarin as a mobile framework is part of .NET. So when you go to .NET, so D-O-T dot .NET, that's right. the .NET website. And what the team and everybody wants every .NET developer to know is that it is your platform to build for absolutely anything and everything. So if you're a .NET developer, whether you're using C-sharp, F-sharp, VB.NET, anything that you want to use, any of the great languages, you can build for anything, whether it's web, desktop, mobile, IoT, AI, machine learning, you know, Raspberry Pi devices, you can run .NET on it. And that includes right. now the, the browser base with the WebAssembly and the the monoasm that we have going on. And yes. I think that's what I love about .NET. I've always loved about .NET is people say, oh, you know, I would love to, to build mobile apps. I'm like, okay, well, what are you building now? I'm like, oh, I'm an ASP.NET developer. I'm like, cool, you're 80% the way there because you already know all of the architecture, all of the libraries, all of the JSON.NETs, all of the refit, all the polys, all the things that's going to work in every single thing that you're doing going forward, whether it's a desktop app or a mobile app or a Mac application with Xamarin, right? You're going to be able to build native iOS, native Android, and share code across all of them. And that's like a really beautiful story that 
has come together not only in the space that, hey, we offer all these frameworks, but the interoperability between all of them is seamless. I just did a demo for Scott Hunter. We were building yeah. a demo and we wanted to see like, hey, let's take a Blazor app, like file new Blazor app, and let's see how we can start to share code between the Blazor app that's running in the browser and mobile applications. And let's use the tooling inside of Visual Studio to help us get there. So we did file new Blazor app. And on the web API backend that we would deploy, we added Swagger definition. We right. booted up Swagger, saved the Swagger definition, imported that into Visual Studio into our shared code that had our model. Visual Studio creates all of our HTTP client. It brings in JSON.NET. It does all of our serialization. And now this big .NET standard library that has our model, our RESTful service code, everything, I just added as a reference into my iOS and Android apps. And now all I got to do is write a little bit of UI and I'm done, right? That's it. And that's a beautiful story is that all that knowledge that you've been building and knowing for years as a .NET or C-sharp developer, even if you're just getting started, everything that you're learning applies to any of these platforms. And it's a really beautiful thing. And that's why I fell in love with C-sharp and .NET so long ago. And that's why I continue to love it to this day. You know, I, I feel like, um, right, the current Microsoft is doing things a lot differently than they did, you know, five, 10 years ago, right? And, you know, maybe you can speak to this, but I would think that when Microsoft bought Xamarin, they were actually able to look at how you guys developed Xamarin and, and how you were using code to bridge the gap between Apple and Android and be able to run it on in multiple places in multiple ways, right? Because that's what .NET Core is now, right? It's run it anywhere, on any platform, any way you need, just like you were saying. So you were part of that transition, right? When Xamarin came into Microsoft. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so you know, on the Xamarin front, the entire team, I mean, the entire company really came over from all aspects. I already lived in Seattle, so the transition for me was pretty easy. It was work from home still for a few days a week and come into campus a few other days, which I was doing anyways uh, at that point to record videos and meet up with the teams. And yeah, I mean, all the developers that were working on the core product came over, but we started to restructure a little bit on the customer-driven development and understanding better how our developers are using our product and how we can build a better product. And, you know, that takes time. You know, when you're at a startup, it's go, go, go. Let's build a product. We were sales focused. Like Xamarin, Xamarin was a paid product. Parts were open source, not everything. When we came to Microsoft, everything's free. It's all in the community edition. You don't need to pay us a dime to build apps with Xamarin. Everything's open source, you know, so you can, you can download the open source bits and build your app without an IDE or anything. You know, just, it's there for your taking. And we get great contributions, not only to the framework, but all the libraries. And it was a lot of great learnings from coming into the, the Microsoft org. Now, I'm going to look at it from a program manager a part of you, a program manager's not so much like a product manager where we're find, you know, defining like a product, like iteration and all the you know, little things inside of Azure DevOps, but it's working with our customers. It's working with the developers, bridging that gap and understanding how developers are using the product, getting the feedback, taking that to our development team, collaborating together to say, this is like 
what people are looking to do. Here's what's wrong. How do we build something that's better? And then the developers go off. They come up with the solution. We mesh together with UI, UX, and then deliver something hopefully awesome. So that process has been super helpful for the product going forward. Mm -hmm. But also at the same time, Microsoft as a whole has really great unification of like CI, CD, internal tools, testing, best practices. And while we had a lot of that in place at Xamarin, being part of the greater Visual Studio.NET story starts to unify all of those bits. So now when the SignalR team delivers a new package, they're testing it against our runtimes that we integrated into our stories Everyone's on Azure DevOps and there's public instances. And it's like this really nice story of how things come together. So you see quality improve. You see features not just come out at a steady pace, but they're features that developers have wanted for a long time because now we have those direct interactions more than ever. And also, we can work with those developers that are using our products early on. So we can do experiments and we can get it in front of our MVPs or insiders and they can give us feedback um, on it before we actually ship a product that's out there. So we've done that a lot recently. Not only just like, here's a product, but here's an idea. Let's pitch you an idea and and see if that fits your needs. And so we do a lot of of that, which I think really has helped the product and helped .NET developers build better mobile applications for iOS and Android. Yeah, I was actually, I was watching um, a Channel 9 video about Xamarin. What version are you guys on right now? Is it 16 something? In the world of Xamarin, so how it works now. So I guess we haven't even done the product pitch for Xamarin, but if people don't know what Xamarin is, right? Yeah, yeah. What we do is we enable every single .NET developer to build beautiful native and high-performant iOS, Android, macOS, tvOS, watchOS, and of course, share code with all of their Windows applications, all in C-sharp, all in .NET, all in Visual Studio for free. And that's awesome. And that's what I've been doing for eight years. And we have a few ways of building them, like with native UI, with shared UI, or mixing and matching those worlds. And we have all sorts of different libraries. But the unique part about Xamarin is that we offer 100% API coverage all in C-sharp for those platforms. So if there's something that you want to do in iOS or in Android, you have access to it in C-sharp. So you never have to open up Xcode or um, Android Studio. You never have to write Kotlin or Swift or Objective-C. You write everything in C-sharp. So that's sort of the, the beautiful part of that. Now, how Xamarin ships is it ships as part of Visual Studio. So there's sort of three different parts to Xamarin at a high level. There's a few more parts, but there's really Xamarin Android, Xamarin iOS, and then the Xamarin tooling inside of Visual Studio. So for most purposes and, 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 and parts of it, the Xamarin Android and Xamarin iOS versions align with whatever Apple and Google are doing. So right now, you know, Android's on Android 9, so we'll have Xamarin Android 9 point whatever, and we iterate with them. And the same thing for iOS you know, 13, we're on those versions. And then those all ship part of Visual Studio. So when you install Visual Studio 2019 on Mac or on the PC, you're going to get all of the Xamarin dependencies that you need. So the current version, it's a little bit wonky when we talk about... I think it's a little bit wonky because version numbers in general are wonky, right? So like the official name is Visual Studio 2019 version 16.2 or Visual Studio 2019 for Mac preview 
16.3 preview two or whatever, you know, these really long, crazy names. So, but basically if you have visual studio 2019, you have the latest Xamarin, you just update as of this recording, we're on 16.2, 16.3 would be the next one. But then it's also confusing because visual studio for Mac is actually eight, dot two and eight dot three. So you cut the major in half, I guess. And then that's where you come up with it. But the biggest thing is when you go to Xamarin.com, you're just going to get everything that you need and, and all the documentation there to get started. But yeah, that's where we're at right now. And every single release of Visual Studio means that you're going to get to take advantage as a Xamarin developer, take advantage of all the Visual Studio tooling. So all the things that are happening in um, IntelliCode and LiveShare and just our IntelliSense and refactoring engines and the, the test engines that are going on, you get to just take advantage of that for free, which is really, really cool. And then, of course, we're doing things in the Xamarin-specific instances to always optimize performance, startup time, uh, execution time, build times, and, of course, our cross-platform libraries always adding a lot more onto that. I'm a little curious, uh, a couple of things as far as like how it works. So does it statically compile to the native runtime on both platforms or does it work across some kind of interpreter or bridge? Yeah, great question. So in the world of Xamarin, everything is 100% natively compiled. They each work a little bit different. So on iOS, for all intensive purposes, you need to be running just LLVM bytecode um, at the end of the day. So it's really cool on iOS. What we do is we take all of your C-sharp code and we compile it down into IL or an intermediate language. And we then take that IL and we compile it down into LLVM bytecode and send that through the LLVM compiler and optimizer that Apple themselves use. Mm -hmm. So it goes through the same exact compilation stop at the end of the day. The difference is that we have a full .NET runtime. Well, it's a slim down .NET runtime. We actually have an advanced linker and optimizer because if you shipped all of .NET, that would be very large, like 30 or 40 Mm -hmm. minutes. But what we do is we tree shake for all. I like to think of it as violently shaking a a tree, like an apple tree, right? And all of the good apples are the APIs that you're using in your code. And all of those other ones, other those apples that you're not using, shake the tree and those all fall away. So what you're left with is a slim down optimized runtime and library for your app that is fully natively compiled, full ahead of time compiled on iOS to create an ARM binary. And you can pick if you want ARM64, ARM v7, you pick the architecture types and we, we figure it out for you. And the same thing's true on Android. We do have a AOT, a full AOT would go through basically the same steps, but most of our Android applications are just in time compiled. And we do that for performance and app size. Mm -hmm. With full AOT, you're going to get the best performance, but it's going to create a bigger app. So we have three things that we do on Android. So you can do that full AOT. That's up to you if you want to do it. And, you know, if you're finally want every little bit of everything, go for it. And for newer people, I'm just going to jump in. So AOT is ahead of time. In other words, everything would be compiled. And so, you know, it's all in the machine code or the VM code and it just runs natively on the machine. But yeah, it, what it has to do then is it has to ship more stuff in the app in order for it to run. So it runs faster, but it's a bigger app. And that's what James is saying. When you're talking about JIT or just in time, what it's doing is instead it's allowing it to compile some of it on the device 
And then it can repeatedly use that. So every time it needs to call that function or method or whatever, it just goes back to that thing that it already compiled on the device that lives in memory. It doesn't take up as much space. And so basically what you're saying is that it splits the difference between the app size and the performance. That's correct. Yeah, that's that's honestly, I'm going to now snip that that out. <laughs> and I'm going to play back that audio every time I need to describe AOT or JIT. But yeah, that, that's 100% correct. And the cool part about Android is that it has its own runtime. So it has an art or Dalvik runtime. Nowadays, mm-hmm. it's all art runtime. And how it works is we will just in time compile your, your C sharp code and compile down any of your your Android code that you need. But it does a full, you know, JIT compilation. And when we boot it up, we'll run our .NET runtime side by side the art runtime. And we'll execute your .NET code inside of our runtime. And then we'll, for all intensive purposes, we'll, we'll kind of p-invoke or in the Android world, it's JNI, so it's a Java invocation mm-hmm. into the Android calls for you, which are super duper quick. And we handle the memory management back and forth. So regardless if you're on iOS or Android, you have full garbage collection. You don't have to worry about it. We handle everything for you, which is amazing that that works on iOS, a full ahead of time compiled garbage collector, everything. You don't get that in Swift or Objective-C. So you do that. Now, the difference though, like you were saying, Chuck, is that on Android, that means that it's not ahead of time compiled. So you need to compile you know, JIT it and, and compile it uh, when it's running. So Android helps quite a bit. They do quite a few things on their sides, like their newer operating systems. They do like machine learning on device to optimize and ahead of time compile bits and pieces of your app that are already running, which is kind of crazy. So it's an Android app, it's an APK, it's going to run. But we just shipped just literally in like July this year, a brand new mode. It's a checkbox. So it's a checkbox and it's a brand new mode that you can put for your app that sits in the in-between of the app because with just-in-time compilation, if you have like a Pixel 2, Pixel 3, you're not going to notice any difference. It's going to be blazing fast. These you know, things are super quick. But on older devices, that you know, if you have a lot of code, it might need to do DLL scanning and might take you know, a few seconds to start up your app and that's no good. So we created a brand new mode that we launched called Startup Tracing. And it may not be the best name, but it describes exactly what it does. It it allows an optimized profile for the startup of your application to use. So what we do is we create a small ahead of time compiled profile for what is required to boot a Xamarin app. And so instead of ahead of time compiling your full app, we say, well, ahead of time compile a very tiny sliver, just the beginning of the app that's required. And we've done this for the stock-based Xamarin applications. And what's great about that is that it will only add a few megabytes to your app instead of like basically doubling the size of your app, but it can reduce your startup time by up to 60%, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Magic. It's magic. It is pure magic. (laughs) And and that's really cool. So we can ship that little, you know, hey, use this profile on startup. And it's like awesome, super fast. And I've done this on all my apps and it's just a checkbox. And then in the future, where we're going to take this is we're going to allow you to startup trace your own app with your own libraries. So you create a profile for your app. So that will allow you to further optimize it so we can create this beautiful little profile for your specific application. And it'll just be handled for you automatically, which is really, really cool. And that's an opt-in feature. And that's for free. And it's available today, which I think is super duper cool. That's awesome. 
One other thing that I'm curious about, and this comes a lot out of my experience with just playing with you know other systems. I've, I think I've installed Xamarin and, and fiddled with it some, but I don't have an Android device to put it on. One thing I have run into though with other systems like React Native is that sometimes you have to write different code for the different platforms, right? So you have your maybe, and, and React Native doesn't really do desktop apps like Xamarin does, but it does, uh, you know, iOS and Android. And sometimes you have to put platform specific logic or platform-specific UI stuff in in order to make it work or feel natural with how the system works. How much of that stuff do you wind up doing in Xamarin apps? Yeah, so, you know, this is really going to depend on the app itself and what you're looking to build. But I will say, like, what's an important part of Xamarin that I hope people can get across from listening to this is that it's a very flexible framework. So when you look at other cross-platform frameworks oftentimes you're restrained by the box that they're in. And to bridge out of it, you got to go write different language code, dip into it. It gets very tedious or hope that there's open source projects out there and libraries that you can suck in Mm -hmm. to do that. Now, in the world of Xamarin, we've always first focused on the first part, which is how do I share just my business logic? And by business logic, I mean my models. So like a person class, like a cat class. And then how do I share my controllers or my view models or my, my databases like SQLite or my RESTful service calls or my Azure AWS integrations or whatever backend you're using. And that's all just .NET code, .NET standard runs great. Yeah, and now, in most systems, those are easy to share because they don't depend, you know, the UI is really where it gets sticky with the differences. Yeah, and it comes in with UI, but also platform like APIs, like iOS and Android, you know, you want to use Siri or you want yeah, to use Touch ID. Fair. That's different. So we've solved that in two ways. So the first way, let's talk about UI. The first part about Xamarin, which is like the tried and true classic Xamarin approach, is that you share a bunch of logic and you build out a separate UI in iOS and a separate UI in Android. One with iOS storyboards and one with Android XML. And that means you have 100% fidelity, just like a Swift or Kotlin developer does with every bit of UI from Apple, from Google, 100% with no UI sharing, right? You're just like, I'm going to do this separately, boom. And that's what I did in the very beginning. And then, of course, you know, you're sharing code, so the natural progression is, I want to share more code, right? Why am I building this setting screen twice? Um, so, and why am I doing this navigation in two different ways? And why I have a login screen two different ways? They look exactly the same. So the nice thing with the Xamarin, we've always been native first. You get native UI, native performance that we've been about. So then we developed something called Xamarin Forms, which is a cross-platform UI toolkit and framework. And the cool part is that this would work with any of your existing Xamarin apps. So let's say you've been doing Xamarin apps for 10 years, like me, eight years, I guess, like me. You have all these Xamarin Classic apps, and you're like, I want to build a new screen. Instead of building it twice, you can use our cross-platform Xamarin Forms to build that screen once in cross-platform XAML. So what the team did is they abstracted all the common controls. So labels, images, buttons, list view, collection view, carousel views, X, Y, Z. Sliders, so on and so forth. Exactly. You get one API and then you develop it. And so there's two modes in that. One is I already have an existing Xamarin app. I can plug in a new page and then I say, create this shared page, give me my UI view controller, give me a fragment, slap it in. Or like a lot of our developers do, they just build their entire app with Xamarin Forms 100%. They say, you know what? 
I'm going all in Xamarin Forms. It has cross-platform animations. It has cross-platform navigation. It has a dependency service. It has a messaging center. Has full MVVM data binding that you know .NET developers are going to know from their WPF, UWP, and yes, Silverlight days. Mm, I loves me some Silverlight. You know, it has everything <laughs> that you want. I mean, we all did it. Let's be honest. I loves me some Silverlight. And you know, so you have all that stuff. So all that knowledge, if you're a XAML, XAML developer, is going to come mm-hmm. over, and that's super awesome because you get to sort of think of it as a dial, tune it in as much or as little. Because even if you go all in with Xamarin Forms. We like to always say that you have an escape hatch, which is for any page of your app or any control, you can implement a custom screen. So if you're like, you know what? Chuck has this awesome, crazy control that looks beautiful. I'm just going to create a custom control and plop it into my cross-platform UI or vice versa. You can kind of swap those all out. So some developers, some apps, they nearly use like 100% shared code between business logic and UI. And then some developers are using 60, 70% because they're super custom. They're using third-party controls. They're customizing it. But what's nice is that we, inside of our XAML, allow you to do this thing called on-platform. So inside the XAML, you can say, on-platform iOS, make this mm-hmm. blue. And on Android, make it red. Right. So even though you're in your shared code, Xamarin Forms can let you execute platform-specific code from inside of your shared code, which is like, bananas to think about. It's just really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And a lot of the systems that I've worked in or talked to people about, I mean, forms or... I mean, even on the web where you think, oh, well, it's all just HTML, you know, form management is a pain. And so, yeah, it's nice to have something that's common, that's easy to to grab. And then, yeah, if you need to do something custom, you do it and then you just fall back to the regular form code when you need it. Sorry, Caleb, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, I was just going to say... Right. I know Angular and React from the front end side, but back end, I know C Sharp, right? Been doing it for forever. So I feel like I would lean more towards the Xamarin Forms side of things, right? To, to simplify and use, you know, uh, the same UI across the board. In that case, so for sliders and toggle buttons and things of those natures, what you're saying is I would use one common component a slider component that you guys abstract away the Android and iOS specific details, but then when I publish, they will show up natively. Yeah, that's correct. So that's the beautiful part about Xamarin is, one, we're the only platform that allows you to write everything in C-sharp 100%. So even if you need to go do a custom implementation, it's in C-sharp. And additionally, the nice part here is that every bit of it is rendering a native control. So when you put down a button, you get a UI button on iOS and an, and an Android widget button on Android. And they look and feel native because you know what? They are native. We just handle laying down the controls for you. So if you want to have, you know, tab page, you can have a tab page. Tabs on top by default on Android, on bottom for iOS. But you know what? We also have the option that you can put them on the bottom on Android because we right. allow you to have that placement and it's going to give you the, the correct UI look and feel but this also means now that you can share your, your string translations, you can start to share images, you can share a lot more than just your UI. There's other things that go into it. But you know that's the, the first part of just the UI paradigm, right? Because you have mm-hmm. all those controls that we've abstracted. You have great control vendors like Telerik, Syncfusion, DevExpress, all these great vendors that have been building controls. And those all work with Xamarin and Xamarin Forms, so charts, graphs, you know, photo cropping, all that stuff. Okay. And then... 
we've really, I mean, Xamarin Forms is on 4.0. It's been out for five, six years at this point. Super stable. I use it for all of my applications. And what's nice about it is that part of this sort of, I talk about this customer-driven development. And, and what I mean by that is we are constantly talking to developers using our product just all the time. And the transition of mobile is really interesting in the UI space because we start to see it evolve a little bit more that people love that we are rendering the native controls. But then there's now a large, it's been a growing subset that says, I like that they're native controls, but my UIs look a little bit different. How do I make them look similar? So the the team has also solved that. We the, the team introduced a brand new API into Xamarin Forms that they call Visual. And the cool part here is it's an open API and allows any developer to bring in their design system, if you will. And design systems are like fluent and fabric systems, material design, you know, Apple's interface design, you know, these are specific guidelines. Airbnb has guidelines. And it's an open API, so if your company had it and you wanted every single button to be themed one way or you wanted it to be look and feel certain uh, across all of your applications, you can build that. But we also, the team ships, and I say we, I mean, I had nothing to do with this. This is the Xamarin Forms team and the great community because it's all open source. The developers on the team look to build a great simplified UI visual structure and what I mean by that is they said, well, what design systems do developers want? And we went and talked mm-hmm. to tons of developers and they said, I love material design. Like I like what Google's doing. And if you look at a Google app, for instance, if you look at Gmail, it's going to look nearly identical between iOS and Android. And our developer said, I want to do that. But sometimes I may want to use the native switches and the native toggles. So we said, cool, with visual, you can do that. And we because we've implemented visual for material design. So this is super cool because Google ships material design for iOS and Android. So we shipped it there first and it's an additional package you can bring in and on any of the controls, let's say a button or an entry, you know, a little entry uh, column, you can say visual equals material or you can do it on the whole page and it will theme and lay down the material controls for iOS and Android. So that means, you know, on your entry. So when you're entering stuff into a text field, I like to call it swishy UI, you know, that little swoosh when that little placeholder moves up, we've all seen it. <laughs> right. So now you get, you get that swish, hashtag swishy UI, I trademarked that, I'm pretty sure. That swishy UI is now available. So you can create this consistent UI or use some of these beautiful material controls. And again, you can dial it. Do you want it to be 100% look exactly the same or do you want it to look just a little bit the same or do you want them to be uniquely different. And that, again, is a super great part of Xamarin and Xamarin Forms is we give you that flexibility. Gotcha. So I've seen, and I'm not sure, maybe I'm using the wrong terming, but uh, templating engine in Xamarin. I'm not sure if it's part of Xamarin Forms, but um, right where you can, in the code behind, you can point something to uh, bottom tabs or uh, slide, flyover. You guys have, have built these template components that you just point to and they do everything that it's supposed to do natively. How does that, how does that work? Yeah. So I like to think of that as how am I architecting the, the kind of navigation of my application? Do I want flyouts? Do I want bottom tabs? Do I want it to just be one big page with a grid of items on it? So we have all sorts of ways of laying down controls on a page. So stack layouts, grids, flex layouts, which is like a flex box, very similar 
to the web, um, relative, absolute, things like that. And then there's the higher hierarchy of your app. So those are consisted by like default pages. So we have a tabbed page, which gives you tabs and you can specify top or bottom tabs. Um, you have uh, master detail, which is a flyout navigation on there. And then you have like a carousel page. So you can flip through those different things. But we also started to recognize that even if we give you all the controls and all the layouts, orchestrating your app can get complex. Mm-hmm. So one of the newer APIs that shipped alongside Visual, which is independent of it, so you, don't, you can use these independently, is called Shell. And what Shell does is it's a shell for your app. So instead of you having to say, you know what, I want this tabbed page here, I want this flyout over here, and I want to navigate to and from, what Shell does is that it gives you a single markup file that allows you to orchestrate and lay down how your entire application is structured. So you can say, here's my shell. I want five flyout items and I want each of those flyout items to have top tabs and bottom tabs. And it then lays everything out for you. It's all templatized. So it's all lazily loaded on demand. And yeah, you can do top tabs, bottom tabs, mix them together, flyout navigation, or just a normal page, search bars, things like that on top. And then that gives you URI navigation. So since you are going to tell Xamarin Forms, hey, here's how my application is structured, you can then navigate via URIs and say, you know what, here's my animals page. And then there's a sub page called dogs. And then I want to pass it query parameters, just like the web. So instead of navigating and saying, navigate to new page, dog page, you would say navigate to, in a string, animals slash dogs, query, you know, Shiba Inu, right? And then it would pass those parameters just like a website. So very similar coding patterns there. So that shell app is now going to handle that entire orchestration of your application. That's optional. I really like it because it handles all that messiness uh, that you don't have to. Yeah, don't make me think. (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah, and and it's minimal code, right? You know, because if you were doing a flyout, even on iOS or Android or in the traditional Xamarin Forms old master detail page to do the flyout, all right, right, how do I construct my items and how do I navigate and how do I click events and how do I do this header and footer like flyout item? And it just does everything for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, nice. Cool, very cool. About 10 months before we started Ruby Rogues, which is the oldest podcast on devchat.tv, I went freelance. And one of the things that I figured out pretty fast is that I had no idea what I was doing. And I made a bunch of mistakes, but I also made a bunch of friends who were doing freelance. And we got together and we started a podcast called The Freelancer Show. And The Freelancer Show has been running about as long as JavaScript Jabber. But we talk every week about all of the things that we were learning and doing in freelancing and giving people advice on how to get their business started so that they could go out and be independent if that's what they wanted. Nowadays, I'm not on the show anymore, but we have terrific people like Riven Lerner and Eric Dietrich that come on every week and talk to you about how they run their businesses and give other perspectives on things that you can do. So whether it's how to find clients or whether it's how to step in and start doing training or other programs or how to run a business, they have a ton of experience and they talk about all kinds of things that are gonna help you pull things together and be successful as a freelancer. So whether you're thinking about moonlighting and trying it out or whether you're going whole hog and quitting your job, you should definitely check out The Freelancer Show. And you can find that at freelancershow.com. One other thing that I was wondering about is if I need to integrate with some kind of native library. So maybe I'm pulling something in from CocoaPods or you know something from... I, I don't know what the open source system is for Android, but 
you know, let's say I need to pull something like that in. How does that integrate with Xamarin? Do I have to write some kind of glue code for that if it doesn't exist? Or how does that work? Yeah, so let's talk about what we offer in the box first. So what the Xamarin team does is we provide 100% API coverage on all of the built-in-the-box iOS and Android APIs. So iOS 13 is going to be coming out this fall. We'll have new, new obviously, sign-in with Apple APIs, with their, which is in the authentication kit. We're going to have uh, new APIs for dark mode and a bunch of other things. We're going to provide all those APIs in C-sharp. Same thing with Android Q this fall. We'll provide all those in the box. Now on Android, though, and iOS, but Android specifically, there's all of these additional third-party libraries and also libraries from Google. Specifically, Android in the traditional, let's say you're building in Kotlin, Maven is the repository, and you add those into your Gradle step. We don't have Maven or Gradle, obviously. We have NuGet, which is the .NET repository. So what our teams do is we have a component team, and what they do is they say, let's look and understand what iOS and Android developers need, and let's create the C-sharp bindings, we call them, around those APIs. So what the team does is they do that for all of the Android support libraries, which are now renamed as Android Components or Android X. So we create bindings for all of those APIs, so back compatibility, custom tabs, all that stuff. We also do it for Firebase. So Firebase, if you need cool. to do Firebase ads, analytics, things like that. They provide bindings for all of that on both iOS and Android. And then they also pick out some of the most popular ones that our developers have demanded, such as Facebook, for instance, or Card.io, or some of the other most popular ones. So those are all open source on GitHub, and those release on a constant you know, cadence. But to get to Chuck's question is, what if I find a library over there and I want it, right? Right. So let's take Lottie, for instance. Lottie is an amazing library from Airbnb to do animations with JSON files, basically. That I end. keep hearing about Lottie. I'm going to have to go <laughs> dig into it. It's super yeah. awesome. I mean, as someone that doesn't know anything about animations, if you have designers or you can go to the Lottie, like, you know, there's a whole repository online. You can just download a JSON file. You get these beautiful animations in your app with no work. Now, that is an iOS and Android library. So if you are writing this in other cross-platform libraries, you're going to have to hope that that library you know, creator creates one for you in that or that, or you're going to have to go write that bridge glue, the glue in between, and you're going to have to go write a bunch of Java code or a bunch of Swift code. What we do is we have binding generators. So inside of Visual Studio, you create this thing called the C-sharp binding library, and you bring in, for all intents and purposes, your iOS archive file that you would get from like CocoaPods, or we, you can even point it to a CocoaPod and it'll generate it for you. And for Android, you just download the JAR or AAR file, which is the Android archive file. And we generate the C-sharp interface for you automatically. And what's cool about that is that our technology that we give you is the same technology that we use to create our bindings that are in the box. So you get all the power as a developer to use the same technology that we're using, which means that those C-sharp bindings aren't just wrappers. They actually go in and based on the interface, if it's a well-designed interface and API, will automatically create asynchronous methods for you, will automatically create auto properties and getter and setters for you. 
and create a nice, rich C-sharp API on top of that normal iOS or Android API for you. You make it as easy as humanly possible, basically. We, we <laughs> right. try to. We try to. And then we give you ways of overriding that technology. And I, I was going to say, if, if, for example, there's some method call that, yeah, there's a more natural name for it, given the way that .NET developers think about this particular problem, yeah, you can go rename it so it doesn't have some weird name that you have to try and remember. It's the, you know, get blah, 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 property you know, instead of whatever it is called in that library. Yeah, but as a C-sharp developer, that's straightforward, right? I mean, that's yeah. it, it's something you do all the time. So you're, you're focusing on the language you understand and know, and you can just basically run from there. Yeah, and, yeah. and to, you know, and, and to Chuck's uh, question there is, is really good because that does happen. Like, obviously, Java and Kotlin and Swift and Objective-C, they all have their own sort of standards that they mm-hmm. sort of code against. So some developers might be like, every single one of my classes starts with CW, right? Because right. Uh, Chuck made this library. Yeah. So right. we have overrides that you can specify in like XML files and say, mm-hmm. for okay. every single class that starts with CW, remove well, a lot of them were NS. And that or was for next, next Step, which was the old pre-Macintosh, Macintosh, which was a post-Macintosh. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the history there is really interesting. But yeah, a lot of the libraries started with NS because they basically came over with Steve Jobs when they acquired Next Step and turned mm. that into the new Macintosh. And yep. so, yeah, you know, it doesn't make any sense for me to, in C-sharp, care that it's NS, you know, get dictionary or something. Right. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's what we'll do. You'll see in the APIs that there's a lot of times when we create the bindings there might be a, a, a method that takes in an NS string. So that's a, a, a next step string. And that's what normal iOS developers would use. So that would exist because an NS string does exist, but we create an over, overload of that that just takes in a string because our string can be an NS string and an NS string can be a string and vice versa. So we simplify that. And you can also do that sort of the bindings. Or a good example is this happens quite often in the Android world. It's a shame, but it happens is often developers of Android libraries or just Java libraries will use the same name of the namespace for the class. So it might be, you know, Chuck as the namespace and then Chuck as the class, but in C sharp, you can't do that. You can't have Chuck.chuck or whatever. Right. You know, you can't you can't have that or you can't inherit yeah. from multiple classes. So we allow you to say, you know what, this class used to be called Chuck make that Chuck 2 or whatever. You know what I mean? So we allow you to override Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, I could see like a string namespace with a string class and then an, 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 an immutable string class. And, you know, yeah, and people playing with that. And yeah, I see where you're going there. Yeah. And the other thing that we do too, so we talked about like the UI bits, the flexibility of Xamarin Forms, what that offers. If you want to, you go that route or mix and match the worlds together. What you have in the APIs that are in the box, there's a beautiful, just amazing developer community around Xamarin. Like, you know, Xamarin developers, many of our developers have been in their community for over a decade, just like I have for so long. And there's a great open source community, great NuGet packages. So a lot of these libraries are already bound for you. You don't really need to worry about it. I've maybe created one or two bindings in eight years of development. But Mm -hmm. you think about those APIs, right? And you think about, okay, now I'm building the Xamarin app. I have a cross-platform UI. And Xamarin gives me the native API. So let's say I want to just check connectivity, 
I want to say, is my user, do they have internet connectivity right now? So how traditionally you would have to do this in other platforms or even in, in Xamarin originally, you would have to go write that code, right? Mm-hmm. And in Xamarin world, you can do it in C Sharp because we'll give you the connectivity APIs from iOS and Android or Windows or Mac or TVOS or watchOS. We, provo- we, we do all this. But what we've also learned over many years is that we would like to share more code and we would like to maybe not write connectivity checks four different times for each platform. So I, I was the PM of this project, the program manager of this project with a great set of developers we collaborated on. And we said, how can we simplify cross-platform development even more? We've done code sharing. We've done a- UI. How do we simplify those APIs? And there's great set of community that has created all sorts of plugins that you can pull in out there. And we said, well, how do we create a streamlined package, one single library that has all the stuff that developers really, really need when they're looking to build an application. In fact, these are the essential bits that every single developer will need. So let's, how do we build that API? So we created a library that ships with every single Xamarin template, every single file new. It's called Xamarin Essentials. So xamarin.essentials, and that's the namespace. And what this does is just like Xamarin Forms abstracted the UI of all these platforms, we've abstracted over 50 native APIs and features into a single cross-platform library that works on iOS, Android, watchOS, tvOS, Windows, and even Samsung's Tizen platform because they support Xamarin Forms for their UI and .NET Core. So that means that for connectivity, you know, vibration, um, email, SMS, phone dialers, geolocation, geocoding. You have one single library, one single API to access all of those from your shared code. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. So I know you guys, right, you're constantly, Xamarin is constantly evolving, constantly coming up with new, new ways of doing things and streamlined stuff. What's the one feature or uh, piece of functionality you guys are, are working on or adding in the near future that you're really excited about? I live and breathe Xamarin Essentials as the library that I've always wanted us to create. And, yeah. and we finally did. But I've been very excited around the work that the team has been doing with just helping developers be more productive when they're building yeah. their user interfaces. So... The biggest feature that we just released into public preview that I was super pumped about is called XAML Hot Reload for Xamarin Forms. So if you think about the traditional development cycle for .NET developers, it's usually make changes to your code, make changes to your UI, recompile your app, redeploy. And every single platform maybe allows some tweaking. If you're in the web world, all right, well, if you change some of your UI, you can refresh the browser. In the world of mobile, you know, there's a lot of web technologies that can take advantage of, like React Native can take advantage of. They're interpreting everything on device. It can rapidly iterate. So we wanted to, to, to bring a, a similar level or same level of productivity for our developers building apps with Xamarin Forms. We control that stack. We control the library. We control the tooling. And we wanted to make it drop dead simple. So XAML hot reloading for Xamarin Forms is just that. You have a Xamarin Forms app, a Xamarin Forms page, no matter how, you know, where it's at, you debug your application and you're immediately hot reloading. You're in the mode. There's no install, there's no setup. You just hit debug on device, on emulator, on simulator, boom, you're good to go. 
And all you do at that point is you make changes to your XAML user interface, you hit save, and it updates on your, on your screen immediately. I love it. So it yeah. automatically takes everything, sends it over, boom, it's good to go. And what's cool is that since we sort of kind of can control that entire end-to-end scenario, it means that we can tell you when you have typos in your code or we don't support something um, and we can reload around that. So for instance, let's say that you say background color and you set it equal to white, but you forget the E at the end of it. What we'll do is when you hit control S, we will take that XAML, we'll send it to the device to hot reload and we'll recognize that you spelled white incorrect. So inside the IDE, we'll put a little squiggly that says, hey, there's a typo, we've reloaded around this. So if you have other changes, those will all be applied except for that one that's not correct. Or if you add like a click handler, for instance, that has to generate code. We're not regenerating your C-sharp code behind just yet, but it'll say, hey, every bit about this except for this little chunk of code right here can be reloaded, keep on your way, boom, boom, boom. So if you navigate to a new page, if you do stuff in your shared, you know, styles and resources, it all just reloads around it. So now you just hit file new, hit debug, start building your application, boom, 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 never have to stop. That's the it whole sounds thing. like what you get in Angular and React now on steroids, right? Mm-hmm. I remember several years ago when I introduced coworkers to Webpack and the, the hot reloading there, right? Where once it's up and running and it's watching, you make a change, you save it, you see the color change in CSS. Yep. This is, this is even better. Because like in Angular React, you type something wrong, save it, it's going to blow up, right? Because it can only handle so much. And you guys are actually working around that to get it to keep... That's ridiculous. Yeah, That's going to be cool. Yeah, it's really nice. Really nice. And it's available today in public preview, so you can get it in Visual Studio, Visual Studio for Mac. And yeah, it it literally, you just hit go and, and it just goes. And I do love that because even often I'm working on apps and... You know, while we're not doing C-sharp code reloading, it's just focused on the XAML. That's where we're starting at because when we talk to developers, that was their biggest frustration and that's where they were spending tons of time on. A lot of developers, including myself, will write all of our C-sharp code and we'll unit test it and everything's good and we'll work on the UI and we just have to make tweaks, right? We're like, change the padding, change the margin, change the color, or I just want to add a new control and I want to adjust the layouts. What does it look like? And we have previewers in the IDE, but you want to see it on your real you know, your real data. You want to see it on a device. You want to see the touches, you know, that are really interactive. And that's what's nice about it is you can do that now. And you can still modify any of your code anywhere in your app, anything like that, and it'll work around it. So if you change some C-sharp code, change some code behind, no big deal. It'll, it'll, It'll work all around it and make sure that when you hit save on that XAML, you're good to go. And for people who are not familiar with this, who may not be doing Angular, React, WebEx, once you go this route, you'll never go back. Because no. it, it's, it's painful to go back. So it's awesome. Yeah, I, I have a blog post that I've kind of been thinking about for the last little while. And, you know, it's, it's basically friction, right? And sometimes yep. friction is good, right? Because it gives you traction and makes it so that you're able to actually live and move and, and all that stuff. But sometimes the friction makes things really hard, you know, because if you're trying to push something across the floor, you know, friction's not your friend. It'd be nice if that friction was gone. And then this is one of those friction points where it's, okay, I have to go, I have to trigger my build, I have to go blah, 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 blah. And then all I'm really checking is that it updated the color, right? Which is kind of silly. Right. And so yeah, 
by eliminating that, I can just, you know, I make the change. Yeah, I may take a second for it to build, but then I can immediately see the, or, you know, within a reasonable amount of time anyway, depending on how long your build takes, you get that feedback. Yeah, Yeah, what's cool is that we've been really, and especially optimizing that build time too. We've dropped our build times over 50% in the last few versions of Visual Studio by finally tuning and optimizing it because we know that, yeah, hot reloading UI is just important, but what happens when you do need to recompile? We don't want that to take minutes. We want it to take seconds. Right. We do iterative. So if you're building stuff and you're, let's say you have your Android app, if you've built it and deployed it and you make a, a code change in your shared code, we just recompile that little assembly, which takes a second or two, and then just redeploy that assembly and then boom, you're off to the races running. So it is getting a lot, lot faster to do that. But I think what Chuck, what you were saying about friction is exactly what we've been trying to do on the PM team when we talk to our developers. And they get back to that customer-driven development. We did a lot of experiments. We tried a lot of different technology before we landed on this XAML hot reloading technology. Because originally we started off, we're like, what if we do it on a device? And what if we you know, do it over Wi-Fi? And what if we you know, do X, Y, Z and set up little, you know, you know, what if we do it with Signal R and we do all these things? Hmm. And then we started some experiments and we found that like, wow, this technology is like super cool, but it falls over in so many instances on corporate networks, with firewalls, mm-hmm. with, you know, just different machines. And we said, you know what, if someone can debug an application, that means we can already talk to the device because we have a de- debugger. Let's just use that same exact protocol and leverage. And we know that will work 100% of the time because you're debugging your apps. So debugging already. All of the friction is gone. If you're debugging... And it it doesn't mess with your flow. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Nothing else is set up. No nougats, no additional dependency, no code changes. It just works. It's a thing of beauty. So James, for for people who are interested in digging into Xamarin or start uh, building apps, do you have any uh, suggestions for training or tutorials that would help them get started? Yeah, so we just launched a brand new Xamarin.com. And when you go to Xamarin.com, it's fully integrated into the dot, .NET website. So dot.net I, I talked about earlier, but it's all there. So if you want to build anything with .NET, it's there. There's a big get started button. And that is a, a kind of 10 minute quick start tutorial. And at the end of it is all sorts of great links to documentation, but I'll, we'll put some links. I'll, I'll give you guys some links for the show notes, but we have great documentation at docs.microsoft.com. I mean, there's a big Xamarin button and it is amazing. The, the documentation team is fantastic. There's quick starts and tutorials. You can do them in the browser, which is super cool. So you can follow along and do next steps and go blah, blah, blah. And then on top of that, if you want to learn in more of a, in like a long form tutorial with videos and sort of classroom style, we have Microsoft Learn. Microsoft Learn is sort of our next generation learning. We used to have a bunch of different learning platforms and everything is been combined into Microsoft Learn. And when you search for Xamarin, there's about like 50 different Xamarin modules from getting started to deep dives, to navigation, to UI, to maps, so all sorts of different things that are in there. And you earn points and you kind of you know, rank up yourself, which is really cool. I've used Microsoft Learn for Azure stuff. And like you said, it's all in the browser. You start the tutorial and like for Azure, you're doing the shell, everything right there. And you're writing the commands as they suggest it. And you're spinning up VMs and you know, app services. So yeah, definitely check out Microsoft Learn. Uh, it's, been, it's been really good. Yeah, so we, those are like the basic places to get started. 
And, you know, you'll just basically install Visual Studio or Visual Studio for Mac and mm-hmm. you check a Xamarin checkbox and boom, you're good to go. And it's going to give you everything that you need. Uh, you get your emulators, your simulators, and, and all of Xamarin, all of Xamarin forms, and that's all, all right there. And the documentation is really great. So if you really want to deep dive on some, some of the different things that I talked about, like Shell or Visual or Xamarin Forms or Xamarin Essentials, it's all right there on the documentation. Yeah, that's one thing that I've been really impressed with Microsoft over the last couple of years is that, I mean, we've talked a little bit, I guess, about the transition into more open, open source, mm-hmm. um, you know, making stuff available. But the documentation at Microsoft has gotten leaps and bounds better over the last few years. Yep. And all of the documentation is open source itself. And, and one of my favorite features that I always want to tell people is if you find a typo or you think an, a, document, a document can be improved, you can submit a pull request. You can do it in the browser. You don't even have to download any tools. On the top of every documentation page, there is an edit button. And when you click edit, that will bring you to the GitHub page for that document and you can start editing it and send a pull request down to the team. Nice. It's really nice. cool. I mean, yeah. that's, that, I mean, and to be honest, because you know, when we're writing documentation, I write documentation, the team write documentation, our docs writers write documentation, and we are writing in a way of how we interpret, how we think developers would use it or how we've used it ourselves. But everybody might analyze an API a little bit different or use it a little bit different. They need some different specifications. We can collaborate on this in the open. If you don't want to write the doc and you don't want to make the modification, there's a you can just open an issue on that page too. You can say suggest, suggest feedback and that will open up a GitHub issue. So there's lots of ways of providing feedback open source. James, really appreciate you joining us Yeah, this today. has been fun. It's been a lot of fun. A couple of years ago, I put out a survey asking people what topics they wanted us to cover on devchat.tv. And I got two overwhelming responses. One was from the JavaScript community. They wanted a React show. And the other one was from the Ruby community and they wanted an Elixir show. So we started both. The React show, though, is React Roundup. And every week, we bring in people from the React community and we have conversations with them about React, about the community, about open source, about what goes into React, how to build React apps, and what's going on and changing in the React community. So if you're looking to keep current on the current React ecosystem and what's going on in React, you definitely need to be checking out React Roundup. You can find it at reactroundup.com. I think we're going to wrap up. And uh, one of the things we do uh, towards the, the end of each podcast is we pick something that we're interested in at the moment, whether it's uh, development related or TV or movies or personal or whatever. So uh, I'll go first and give you a minute to to think about what you want. But um, and this is a little old, honestly. But it's Doom Patrol, the TV show. I have a three year old, so I'm like you know three or four months behind the rest of the world. But uh, I just finished it up, and it's um, really good first season. So if you have not seen Doom Patrol, go check it out. Nice. You want me to throw in some picks? Yeah. Yeah, go so, for it. So uh, usually when I get into TV shows that are based on books, I usually get in because I've already read the book. And then, of course, I'm disappointed. In this case, <laughs> I got into some books because of the TV show, if you've watched The Expanse. Yeah, yeah. I, I, keep, I keep hoping they're going to come out with season four. I may have missed it. Somebody's going to yeah put a comment in. It's already on Amazon. <laughs> anyway, I'll go look after the show. But yeah, I've, I've actually gone and uh, listened to all the books on Audible. I just finished the eighth book, uh, Tiamat's Wrath. And uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. They do kill off a couple of characters that made me sad, but it was kind of, it was kind of coming. 
So, but yeah, really, really enjoyed those books. So I'm going to pick those books, the the Expanse novels by James S.A. Corey. What you want to do too is make sure you get all of the novellas that go in between all of the books because it gives you a little bit of backstory, usually on some uh, minor characters. Anyway, those are just fun, super fun to watch. Another pick that I have is... And and this is a show that my wife and I have been watching. It's funny because it's been running for like eight or nine seasons and we just barely got into it. But it's The Blacklist. And we've really been enjoying The Blacklist. So no spoilers. We're on like season two, but yeah. I will not spoil it, but it's one of the few shows that my wife and I sit down and watch together is The Blacklist. Yeah. Yeah, So it's, yeah, it's good stuff. We'll not spoil it for you, but it's good Season three, four, five. It's still good. Yeah. You're, you're going you're gonna to like yeah, it. Yeah, it's nice because uh, you've got The Blacklist, which is kind of heavier. It's not the heaviest show I've ever watched, but it's, it's definitely heavier content. Um, we've also been watching the last season of The Amazing Race, which is really light stuff, right? It's just kind of, oh, we're watching these idiots run around the world, right? And <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I guess I'll shout out about that too. Nice. Yeah, I'll, I'll do a few picks. Uh, TV and movie stuff like is pretty straightforward. Like I'm a huge uh, Bachelor, Bachelor in Paradise fan. That's our, that's me and the and the uh, partner show. I can't, I, we can't get enough of it. That's our Monday and Tuesday nights. I mean, it's pretty much not for this audience, but if if you once you get into the into the Bachelor Nation, you can't get out basically. But I actually just started Ozarks on Netflix. I, I know there's two season or Ozark or whatever. Jason Bateman, Bateman, yeah, dark, good, really enjoying that and. Uh, I get really lucky here in Seattle. We have an amazing movie theater called the Cinerama and they just did their um, 40 millimeter fest um, for the summer. And I got to see the big Lebowski in 4K, which was amazing. Uh, yeah. you know, some kids, you know, they might not have seen it yet. Uh, so get yourself some big Lebowski. But my actual pick, my full, full pick is a hardware pick that I'm putting into our chat right now because I just did it this weekend with my friend Frank Kruger, who I podcast with. It is a drop-in replacement backlit LCD module for the Game Boy Color from Midwest Embedded. This thing is awesome. All right, so I'm a big gamer. I have a Nintendo podcast that I do. I have this Game Boy Color sitting around forever. And the problem with the Game Boy Color, it's not backlit. You can't see it in the dark. You know, you need attachments. This thing, one, I'm amazed that in 2019, there is a company and engineers that are building replacement color LCD modules for the Game Boy Color. Now, $65, which is a smoking deal, to be honest with you, with the tech that's in here, because it's not just like an LCD, but it's upgraded. It has 4X pixel scaling built into it. But the cool part is that you do need to solder a few wires to get it going, but it's almost a drop-in replacement. You take out the old one, you put in the new one, you solder a wire, and cut out a little bit of plastic. But if you go a little bit further and solder a few more wires into different pins that are on the Game Boy Color board, it will allow you to hold down the select button and then press up or down and control the brightness of the screen up to eight different brightnesses, which is super awesome. So now I'm going on a Game Boy Color shopping spree on eBay and buying all sorts of goodness. So that's my pick. Um, It's back ordered. If you need it, if you have a Game Boy Color, Great fun. I mean, imagine if you're a kid, you know, to pick right. up a Game Boy Color and learn how to do hardware modding on this 20-year-old piece of hardware and improve it. 
it's super fun. And I'm for I'm, sixty five bucks. You can't. You yeah, can't, it's funny. Yeah. You you mentioned that I have an actual Game Boy. I've had this for like twenty five <laughs> years. It's, it's sitting. It's literally sitting right here on my desk. And yeah, it's just Thank classic you. stuff. So Thank good. You. So before we finish, uh, just want to mention uh, devchat.tv again. Like Chuck said, a number of new podcasts coming out. And if you go to the website, uh, you can also join us on Discord and, you know, provide us comments, feedback, talk with the host across all of the different podcasts. We, we'd love to have you. Thanks again, James. It's been yeah. uh, it's been a good. One talk. other thing I want to throw out there: um, if you go to devchat.tv and you click on adventuresin.net, you can click the recommend a topic or guest. Yes. And then you can put that in. You can also vote them up or down. And so, if if there's somebody or something that you want to hear about or hear from, let us know because uh, yeah, we're always looking for ideas, and sometimes we miss stuff, or sometimes there's just somebody that's been in the community for a long time you know, like James. And it's like, you know, it's kind of obvious that we should have that person on. And for whatever reason, it just doesn't pop up on our radar. So yeah, no, I super appreciate you having me here. And I can't wait to listen to more episodes. And of course, if you want more of me, I'll do a shameless plug because why not? I got to do it. Uh, you can find me everywhere on the internet at James Montemagno. But I also do a few podcasts. If you like podcasts, because you're listening to podcasts, I have a podcast called Merge Conflict with my friend Frank Krueger. You search Merge Conflict. It's a great name for a podcast. Um, yeah. yeah, it uh, is. You can go to mergeconflict.fm. But if you want not, that's a .NET mobile show. We focus on more mobile, but in the .NET space, but kind of all over the place. And it's not interview style. So it's us going deep technical on stuff that we're living and breathing. And then I also have another podcast called Nintendo Dispatch, which is a Nintendo podcast. So if you want to get into more of the Nintendo and me talk not .NET development, check out Nintendo Dispatch at Nintendo Dispatch. All right, I have to ask then. You have a Nintendo podcast. I'm working on beating Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, once I beat it, what game should I pick up? Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, so after... Diablo you- 3. Diablo 3. You will dump so many hours. Diablo 3 on the Switch? But yeah, because it's easy to take. It's on the Switch? Yes. Everything's on the Switch. Seasons and everything. They're they're coming out with season 18 in like just a few days. Well, so I think that there's like all sorts of amazing stuff on the Switch. So I have been a Switch diehard. I went back and I picked up like the original Doom games and Wolfenstein games and I've been super enjoying those. One game that I super duper like right now is a game called Tiny Metal. It's very much like Advance Wars turn-based. It's, so it's like 10 bucks or whatever on the eShop. It's like turn-based. You have little squads. You can download demos for it. It's called Tiny Metal. Super duper good. I've been playing a lot of that. And then I also picked up, because I didn't get to play it on the Wii U, but I picked up Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe, which is super duper awesome. And then... The other game I've been playing a lot is, of course, Mario Kart, <laughs> obviously. A right. uh, ton, ton of Mario Kart. I'm looking through, I have my, my Nintendo Switch parental app so I can look at my nice. apps that I've been playing. And Mario and, Kart is perfect with the kids because even perfect. my three-year-old, he and I will sit and we'll play Mario oh, Kart yeah. together. My niece and nephew come over uh, with my sister and her husband and we play board games and they play Mario Kart. Yeah, the other game I would recommend too. So like I do love the Doom games, things like that that I've been playing. But I also recommend um, another game that's on the download. It's called Ape Out. So you play as this ape that needs to get out. 
I live streamed it on my Twitch. Uh, I loved it. It's like 10 bucks. It's called Ape Out. It's beautiful. The music is amazing. I mean, these aren't games that you're going to play for like hours, but it's going to last like 10, 10, 12 hours. That's super duper fun. Um, I'm really into the, the indie games right now. So I like those a lot. And I also picked up Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. So that's like if you're into Castlevania type of games, yes. that's a great game too. So cool. there you go. Yeah. All right. My pick. Hey, nice. Hey, yeah, hey. we got to leave those in. All of it. Yes. Yeah. A little, a little uh, Nintendo uh, yeah. with your .NET. <laughs> yeah. Got to have it. They go hand in <laughs> hand. are we going to be able to build Switch apps with Xamarin? So you can already build it with .NET. So you can actually build PlayStation Switch games with .NET. So for instance, there's a great open source uh, project called Monogame. And Monogame is basically cross-platform XNA, which is the old, uh, uh, older yeah. game, game platform right. from Microsoft. But it's completely cross-platform. And um, that actually runs natively on Switch. So another amazing indie game from Matt Makes Games, which is Celeste. Oh my goodness, Celeste. What an amazing game. That game is fully built in Monogame, running .NET 100%. Boom. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. It's a, that's an awesome game. Okay. Yeah. And what's cool about that is if you wanted to, Monogame, when you build an iOS or Android app, you're mm-hmm. actually building like a Xamarin app. So right. obviously right. you're building Xamarin for that, but then when you want to go to other platforms, they're able to compile down natively on those other platforms. So boom. Really, .NET is absolutely everywhere. I everywhere. Oh, that's what I was about to say. Chuck, it is everywhere. Nice. I, I feel another episode coming on. <laughs> I agree. I agree. All right, guys. Well, thanks again. And uh, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.